I gave that big plug for the newsletter, I actually looked at it and I realized my article got bumped all the way to the back page. So I'm like, well, I ain't given all these props for the articles. And no, I'm just, I'm the back page news now. But that just shows how much good information is in there for you guys to read about. Oh, and Gabe, I was chewing gum and I threw it in your coffee cup. So you will not want to drink that coffee right now. So I was like, oh, I'm about to preach and I'm chewing gum. And it was there, so... Okay, changing gears immediately now. The story was told of a traveler who was going through the desert and had run out of all of his supplies and, most importantly, all of his water. Right when he thought that he was at death's door and he could not go on anymore, he saw on the horizon a small little shack. And so dragging his dehydrated body, he made it there, and inside he found a pump and a jug of water. And on the jug of water was written a note, prime the pump and you will get all of the water that you need and more. P.S. Don't forget to refill the jar when you're finished. It would be easy for us standing on the outside to say, well, of course, Prime the pump, get all of the water that you want, and leave some behind for the next dehydrated traveler. But when we are faced with situations that actually put our faith to the test, it can be a little bit harder, right? There has to be a very strong impulse, a strong pull, then fear factor could kick in. Well, I could drink the jug of water right now and maybe get enough to make it through, or do I have faith to dump all of this precious water down the hole, the top of this pump, and believe that it will succeed? Well, today, we are going to go into a miracle within a miracle. And both of these miracles are going to require faith. And not just faith professed, but faith expressed. There seems to be something about faith not just professed, but faith expressed. Faith expressed, faith put into action that actually moves the hand of God and seems to put God into action. And so let's read this story this morning for us about the miracle within the miracle. Faith not just expressed, but faith, I'm sorry, faith not just professed, but faith expressed and put into action to move the hand of God. It's going to be a long reading this morning. Don't check out. I always say this. Don't wait for the explanation, as can so often be the case. Hear these words from God so that we can dig deeper into the meanings of this story. Mark chapter 5, verses 21, all the way through 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. I, I just have to pause. I love how he says, my little daughter, my little girl is dying. We're going to find out later that she's 12 years old. She's not so little anymore, but from the heart of a father, this little one that he has known from birth is at death's door. My little daughter is dying. 
Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed immediately. Her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see people crowding, around, crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were there with him and went in to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Question to get us started and dig deeper into this text. Who here is desperate? Who here is desperate? Nobody likes desperate people. <laughs> nobody, nobody likes desperate people. I remember... Early on in my college years, I went out with this girl, and, I, and after the first date, she was like ready to make the plans. I mean, it was like, we'll have a spring wedding, and we'll go on a honeymoon in Martha's Vineyard, and we'll buy the house next door to my parents, and we're going to have four kids, and we're going to have a little boy picket fence. And I was like, hold on, I haven't even declared my major yet, girl, and you want to like write the whole script? That is a little too desperate. There's something about the smell of desperation, right? There's something about being desperate that actually repels most people. In fact, it was after a few dates with Robin, somebody actually said to me, and I can't remember the conversation verbatim, but it went something like this. It was like, well, how's it going with Robin? I was like, it's going pretty great. I mean, she's, she's got her ministry that she's engaged in. She's in grad school, and she's got, some, she's got her friends, and she's got some hobbies and some activities. And I was like, I, I, don't, think, I don't think she needs me. 
but I think she wants me. That was the key right there. Uh, There there was nothing desperate about her, and that just made me love her and want her all the more because when we get around desperate people, when we get around people who have needs, our, you know, uh, scarcity mentality can kick in. We're like, well, I'm not going to let you take maybe my precious little resources, right? I'm not going to let you pull from me everything that I need because maybe I just feel like I'm just getting through life as well. There's something about desperation that reeks and just drives people off. But as I pondered and meditated upon this story, I thought, maybe I need to rethink my take on desperation because there's something about the desperation of this man, Jairus. There's something about the desperation of this woman that wells up to faith. And more, it wells up to this faith in action. And when Jesus catches a whiff, when he sees their faith in action, he is not repelled from it, but he is moved towards it. So let me ask you again, my friends, do I have any desperate people in the house this morning? This is where you're supposed to respond to the preacher and start to get excited about, thank you. I mean, my goodness, I'm really having to prime the pump of faith myself here, friends. God is looking for people desperate from a touch from him. Are you desperate for his touch? Are you desperate for a miracle? Are you desperate to move the hand of God? Are you desperate for a healing? Are you desperate for a breakthrough in this season in your life? If you are desperate, friends, the good news is that we are just labeling this message right now, you know, you know, DPO, you know, desperate people only, only desperate people need apply to this miracle. So we, as a desperate people, desperate for more, of our Lord Jesus. Let's get into this text now. This desperate, desperate man, Jairus, goes to Jesus. The moment that Jesus lands on the other side of the shore, and he comes running up to him, and it says that he fell at the feet of Jesus. Now, I already need to pause on this to say, how many times are we going to see desperate people falling at the feet of Jesus? The man we met last week at the tomb in the region of the Gerasenes fell at the feet of Jesus. This man, a synagogue ruler, a leader, a proud man, falls at the feet of Jesus. A few more verses we're going to read about another woman is going to fall at the feet of Jesus. I think we need to be a people willing to humble ourselves and fall at the feet of Jesus if we're going to experience his touch and more of him in our lives. He falls at the feet of Jesus and professes to him that he has a desperate situation, a problem that he can't fix. Can I give you a little bonus material? I'm going to give you, here's a little bonus material for everybody who's ready for some insight here on living. This could be the breakthrough for your relationship. This could be the breakthrough for for women understanding men. This is it. I'm I'm going to clue you in on this. Guess what? Men don't like to not be able to fix the problem. 
I know, your minds are blown, right? You never knew that. I'm, I'm telling you things that you never knew before. No, we know that men like to fix the problem. We know that men don't want to admit that they can't fix the problem. How much more powerful then that this man, Jairus, is able to say, I'm desperate. I cannot fix this situation. My daughter, the one I love, the one whom I'd give anything and everything for, she has a problem, and Jesus, now I will fall at your feet because I, because I can't do anything about it. My first daughter, Eden, was born. After 40 wonderful hours of labor, she was born beautifully and fat and plump, and there was much rejoicing, and we were preparing the next day for our exit when two doctors came in. It's always a bad sign when two doctors come in to see you on your way out the door. They came in and they gave us the assurances that you want to hear right out of the gate. Eden's, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, Eden is wonderful. She's healthy. They're, you know, they're kind of giving that list of everything good <laughs> about the situation. But then they said, but there is something. And, and you know, at this point, you're like, get on with the something. We know there's two, two of you here. There, there has to be something. And they said, she has hip dysplasia. She has the ball socket there, uh, the ball joint of the femur, but there's no hip socket for it to rest in. So her hips, the femurs of her legs, I'm sorry, are just floating on her hips. I became a desperate father pretty quick. I said, what are we going to do? They gave us a number. They said, call this number as soon as you can. We, we probably went home faster than we went to the hospital to make that call. We made the call down to Boston Children's Medical Center, and the woman on the other end was very nice. I told her the situation, and she said, we should be able to get you in sometime in March, which would have been fine, except that it was January 2nd. I give God the grace and the glory because uh, I immediately remembered, you will attract more flies with honey rather than vinegar, George. Do not freak out. Speak to her calmly and clearly. And again, I said something like this. I can't remember verbatim, but it had to go something like, ma'am, you probably hear this several times a day, but now you're hearing it from me. And it's my daughter, and this is my need, is there any way you can get us in to see the doctor sooner? It must have pulled on some heartstring of hers. She said, stick by the phone. I did not leave the phone. I assure you, hand hovering over the phone, within less than a half an hour, she calls back and she said, be here at 7.30 tomorrow morning and we will try to get you in to see the doctor before any of his scheduled appointments. Oh, we were there probably at 4.30 in the morning. Who knows? We were there and we were waiting. As we were the first ones in the, in the waiting room, people started trickling in. Young girls in particular started trickling in, in full body casts and braces, some in wheelchairs, some on crutches, and we are thinking, how bad is this going to be? He did take us in. He did see us. He said it was bad, but he said it was good that we were there so quickly. We went down. We got fitted for this little brace that Eden was going to be put in. It would have been adorable had it not been for my little girl. Desperation drives us to that place where we humble ourselves, we fall at the feet of the one who can give us something that we stand in need of, and we pray 
for a miracle. I know you're dying to know the end of the story, so we're just going to tell this and get on with the story. Six months later, when they took the x-rays of her hips, the doctor said, if I was a man of faith, I'll always remember this, if I was a man of faith, as I know you are, I would say this is as close to a miracle as I've ever seen because I cannot even tell that these are the same hips that I was looking at six months ago, and I will forever give him praise for that. But desperation drives us. This man is so desperate. Jesus is not repelled from his need but has mercy upon it and begins the journey then to go with him to meet him in that place where he knows that he can provide the answer. And we know that Jesus would have the full assurance that he has the capability to provide and to fix what Jairus cannot. But along the way, along the way, there's a woman. And what we learn about this woman is that she has had this condition that has drained her of all of her resources, this condition of bleeding. We don't know the exact nature of it. She's spent all of her money. She's only gotten worse. She finds herself into this desperate situation. And now what isn't obvious on the surface becomes obvious as we scratch and go a little bit deeper is that the two lives here, the two lives are deeply connected. And you got to know that I love to make the connections at a church called Connections. We have a man and we have a woman. We have this man who is the synagogue leader, this ruler, a man of privilege, a man of position, a man of prestige, a man of wealth, a man with access, a man with some you know, social collateral, everything that we would want to achieve, many of us, with our lives. And we have this woman who is the opposite. She is outcast. She has no privilege. She has no position. She has no prestige. She is, in fact, what they would call un. Clean. This man, the one who is a part of pronouncing, you are forgiven of your sins, go and be clean, ritually cleansing people so they could come in and practice the religious uh, rituals of the day. And this woman who can't even enter the doors because she has been stamped unclean, unworthy, rejected, outcast. Two lives so seemingly far apart. And yet, if we were Hollywood, we would, fr we would frame the connection this way. We would flash back to 12 years earlier to a hospital. And, and out from the hospital is coming a couple carrying their newborn baby girl. Jairus and his wife on top of the world, a beautiful baby girl, given the admission to, or given the permission to leave because everything is great. Life is up and to the right. I mean, everything is just has to be beautiful. Their relation, we, and perhaps the director would frame the scene such that they would even brush shoulders as this woman is maybe going to the doctor for the first time. She's going to get the first in a long string of bad news and bills that she can't pay, all leading only to her being broke and broken and getting worse all the time. These two lives that seem so separated, and yet they are connected. They're profoundly connected in their desperation. In her desperation, she has come up with a plan. If 
only because I'm unclean, because I don't even want to be seen, if only I can slip through this crowd, if only I can touch his garment, then, then maybe the power of this one will heal me. Now, we can miss the significance of this in a quick reading of this, but we need to understand that this woman growing up faithful and practicing her religious devotion before she was unclean, before she was unworthy, would have remembered hearing the words of the prophet Malachi, which says that the son of righteousness will rise up with healing in his... And here's where it gets a little clouded for some of us. Some of the translations will say with healing in his wings. Other translations will say with healing in his rays. But as we dig deeper into the Hebrew and its translation to the Greek, and I found this very helpful from a site called Servants of the Messiah, an organization of people who uh, are born ethnically Jewish but have come to believe that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment and the Messiah, help us to understand that this little word becomes complex. And in many cases, its most literal translation would simply be the hem or even the tassel. You see, all Jewish men wore a robe or a tunic kind of a garment, a square of cloth with a hole in the middle that they'd place over them and they'd put a belt around it. And then each of those four corners was to be a blue tassel which would signify their devotion to the Lord and their commitment to live by the laws of God. And so the literal translation is that the son of righteous would rise up and there would be healing in his tassels. And so this woman thinks, maybe this is the one. Maybe if I can just reach out, there will be healing in his tassels for a woman as desperate as I and so she goes through with her plans. She reaches out. She touches the tassel and the robe of Jesus. And it says that instantly she was healed. Instantly power went out from Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of Righteousness. Healing power left him and went into her. And she was made right. And in that moment, Jesus knew that something had unfolded. And he says, who touched me? The disciples almost mock him at this point. How can you say who touched you? I mean, there's a whole crowd pushing in on you. Jesus here wants to highlight something. What was done in secret must come into the light. This woman who he knows, he knows, he knows she has lived in shame. She has lived ostracized, outcast, apart from. He doesn't want this miracle to just go quietly unnoticed between he and she, which it could have been. He wants to make this the coming out party. So, he says, who touched me? Knowing that she had been caught, it says that she came and told him the whole truth. Sorry, as a guy, I just reflect upon the whole truth. And I have to believe there's this moment where Jairus is, you know, thinking, I've got a daughter in need, and here's a woman who is telling the whole truth, because we know how long a whole truth story can go on. And so I picture this scene, tension and desperation growing in the one, but the celebration of the whole truth being made known, coming out for all to understand. Jesus says to her, your faith, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. 
Do you want another bonus? Do you want a little, another little bonus material? This one a little more serious, because I assume you knew that men like to fix problems. This happened along the way. This was an interruption. This was, for some people, they would have seen it an inconvenience. But I want to tell you, friends, that some of your best moments in life and some of the best ministry that can flow from those of us who follow Jesus Christ, some of the best moments of ministry are going to happen along the way. There is something that God does along the way that sometimes can even seem almost better than that goal that we are going for. Do not neglect attention to what can happen along the way in your life. Have a plan. Have a vision. Have a mission. Have a ministry. Be on the path to go somewhere with Jesus. Want to get things done. But be open to what God can do along the way. Because it was along the way of doing campus ministry. It was along the way of getting a graduate degree. It was along the way of fulfilling her needs through her hobbies and activities that Robin met me. And that was one of the best things to ever happen to her, friends. Do not be... How's it going? Yeah. Some of the best things are going to happen to you along the way. Because when Jesus knows that we're on the way to serve him faithfully, when he knows that we're already on the way of obedience and righteousness, right? When he already knows that we're on the way, he can add more then into our lives and do wonderful things through us. So moms, don't shy away from what God can do through you along the way of raising your children. At work, don't shy away from what God can do for you along the way of your rise up the corporate ladder or whatever it is. Be open to what God is going to do along the way because some of the best stuff in my life has simply happened along the way. So along the way, this miracle happens. Jairus finally now gets his turn. While this is unfolding... Some people come up to him with the news. And you can't, you, you, you can't be mad at them for, you know, for, for what's happening, sort of uh, the report that they give right out of the gate. They're just telling the facts. And, and, and praise be to God for people that just tell us the facts. They say, they say Jairus, your, your daughter is dead. But it's, the, but it's the commentary that I don't like that comes after that. Why bother the teacher any longer. I want to tell you, friends, I want to tell you who is broken right now, you who is bleeding right now, you who are in pain right now, you who are hurting right now, you are not a bother to the master. Your pain is not a bother. Your brokenness is not a bother. Your hurt is not a bother. Your problem is not a bother to Jesus. Amen, friends? You are not bothering Jesus when you come in desperation to Him with what is hurting you the most. You are not putting Him out, offending Him, or driving Him off. You are not bothering Him when you come to Him with your deepest needs. In fact, as we are learning more and more through the story, that is what's going to get and grab and hold His attention. You are not a bother to the Master. 
Jesus tells him, do not worry. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Keep believing. Keep showing this faith in action. Keep showing me this faith, not just professed, but this faith expressed. Keep showing me this faith, Jairus, and let's go. So he takes a couple of the disciples. He takes Jairus. They get to the house. There they come to the scene of mourning, for all think that Jesus is, uh, the Jairus' daughter is already dead. Jesus says she's not dead. She's only asleep. And they laugh. Not the laughter of joy of believing a miracle is going to happen, but the, the, the laughter of mockery, this laughter of disbelief. So I love what Jesus says next. It says that Jesus put them out. Now, I don't have much more time to preach, so I'm just going to have to jump right to the application, which you probably could figure out on your own. But let me make it really clear for you. You might need to put some things out of your life. To bring Jesus closer. There comes a time in our lives when we need to put out some things that are keeping us from experiencing the miracles, the blessing, the fullness of the presence of God in our lives. You're going to need to put out maybe some people from your lives. Now, I know, I know we need to love God. We need to love everyone. We need to, we need to go out. We need to serve. But there is a limitation. There is a line. And sometimes we need to put out the scoffers, right? We need to put out the mockers. We need to put out the people who don't believe and have no faith. We need to put out the people that become toxic to the work of Jesus in our lives. We need to put out some stuff from our lives that is keeping the fullness of the presence and the power of God to work in us. We need to put some things out, right? I'm going to let you process that on your own because I need to keep moving now, friends. Jesus says we have to put some of these people out in order for my power to flow and for the miracle to happen. So they put out those. And they go in. And Jesus, without any flair, without any pomp, without any circumstance, showing the depth and the extent of his power, reaches out, takes the girl by the hand, she rises up, and he says, give her something to eat. And Jairus experienced not just a healing miracle, he experienced something even better. What did he experience, friends? He experienced a, a resurrection, right? He didn't just get a miracle, he got a foretaste of the best that is yet to come. He got a foretaste of the resurrection of the new life that all of us receive in Jesus Christ and the birth that we have spiritually through his work in our lives. He got a foretaste of the best that is yet to come. He got resurrection. Faith professed is wonderful, but faith expressed gets Jesus' attention. It doesn't just get Jesus' attention. It seems to grab Jesus' attention and pull it close and move Jesus to action. And so, friends, I want to commend to you, let us commit to putting our faith in action, to grab the attention of Jesus and to see a breakthrough for the desperate needs of our lives. I invite the band to come forward and invite all of us to begin to prepare our hearts and minds because in a moment we are going to express a movement of faith. 
to express something towards God and to receive the invitation that He gives to us to come to Him, to metaphorically lay our lives at His feet, at the feet of His table, and to embrace the promise that He gave to us for us to be with Him. You see, Jesus, as I've been saying, is drawn towards faith expressed. We were having a Bible study the other night at my house, and somehow it just sort of came up. I don't remember who even said it, but they said, it's like Jesus has this faith dar. It's not a radar, it's this faith dar. And I just picture, you know, all these military movies that I've seen of the submarine and this little black screen and that greenish kind of light and just that circle that's going around. And every time it's going around, what do you hear then? You hear this little beep, beep. It, 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 it's, it's dinging on something, it's pinging on something, it's, it's picking up this thing that they're looking for. And, and, and Jesus seems to have this faith dar that is always spinning around, spinning out from his life and his ministry. And whenever he sees faith, whenever faith pings on the screen, he takes notice and he's moved. And he says, there I'm seeing one of my children expressing their faith for me. It pings whenever he sees these four friends break through the wall, break through the roof and lower their friends at the feet of Jesus. He says, when he saw their faith, he was moved to action. Whenever Jairus comes and, and, and asks Jesus to come and heal him, he says it was faith. His faith that moved him to action. Whenever Jairus is kind of on that brink of, of losing hope, Jesus whispers to him, don't fear, just believe. Keep having faith. Whenever the woman is healed, Jesus commends to her, your faith has healed you. And so in this next season of life, in the days or in the weeks ahead, I invite you to express your faith in Jesus in a way that will capture his attention. I don't know what that will be for you, but I think it should be something. I think there is something that each and every one of us that we could do to express our faith for what we are wanting Jesus to do in or through our lives. I heard a story uh, once of a, of a couple that was having trouble having a child. And so they decided they were going to do something in faith. And so they went out and they bought the crib. They bought the crib, and they set up the room, and they began just to pray daily. In faith, we believe, God, that you will put a life, you will put a child inside this little crib and fulfill our prayers. And for them, the answer ended up being adoption. It wasn't what they started looking for, but in faith, God still provided the answer to their deepest hope. Examine your life. Examine your desperation, and don't run from it. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to cover it up with some kind of perfume. Let it reek. <laughs> Let it rise up. Let your desperation rise up to Jesus Christ, and then do something in action, in faith. Do something. Go out and buy the crib that you're asking God to fill. Go out and buy the new suit for the promotion that <laughs> you want 
go ahead and mark something on the calendar as the date when you will be out of debt. Go ahead and buy the ticket for the mission trip that you know that God is calling you to go on. Go and do something in faith to capture the attention, the mercy, the grace, the love, the power of Jesus to work in your life. You get it, friends? You understand? Let's do something to catch the attention of Jesus because he's looking for faith and I hope he'll find it in all of our lives. And on this journey, he's given us a way to nourish, to feed, and to encourage us along the way. He's given us an invitation to come and to be with him at this table. On the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, after giving thanks to God, he lifted up a loaf of bread and he broke it and he said to his disciples, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he lifted up the cup saying, this cup is now the new covenant which is sealed in my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. And he told them that every time that we eat of this bread, and we drink of this cup, we'll be proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection of our risen Lord until he comes again. And so he has given these gifts to us, to his people, as a way that we might be with him and that he might be with and in us. And so I want to pray and then give instructions for all of us who want to come forward to have more of him with us and allow us to be with him in a deeper way. Let's pray for just a moment. And while I pray, I invite my team to come forward to get ready to take us into our celebration of communion. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your saving death on the cross to atone for the sins of mankind, for the sins of this world, the sins of this world for which you love and for which you came and for which you gave your life. Lord, I thank you for the life that we have now in your resurrection. And the same spirit that rose your body from the grave, Lord Jesus, we now invite you, spirit, to come and rise us to new life and to fill this space and to meet us here so that this can move beyond mere elements on a table. And this can become a means of your grace that we will feel you with us to the depths of our soul and we will know that you are with us always to the very end of the age. As sure as we take and taste and touch these elements, let us have the assurity that you are present and in our lives and are coming again in fulfillment of your promise. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. As the